Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week, I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. Hey there, my wise friends, and welcome to another episode of Collective Wisdom. Today's episode is one that's very close to my heart and one that I'm extremely grateful to be sharing as it brings with it a sense of hope and optimism that we may not all be feeling at the moment, given that there's so much bad news around us in the shape of war and scarcity. So what do you do in the face of a problem that seems so huge that it's impossible to solve? That's a question my guest Scott Neeson came face to face with when he visited Cambodia almost 20 years ago and found children living and working on a huge landfill site in conditions that most of us can't really conceive of. The answer seemed to be that although he couldn't solve the entire problem, he could at least help one family get access to the medical help they so desperately needed and then with a little financial support get the children into school. When he saw how simple it had been to make a difference to one family, he began to question how many more people he could help. That was the very humble beginnings of Cambodian Children's Fund back in 2004. Since then, through Scott's commitment to one family at a time, CCF has gone on to become a non-profit that now empowers a whole community of people to support and help one another. And as you'll hear, it now has an impact on hundreds, probably thousands of lives every single day. As Scott says himself, it's amazing what you can achieve when you commit to helping just one person at a time. Joining me today is philanthropist and humanitarian Scott Neeson, who is the founder of the Cambodian Children's Fund, a charity based in Phnom Penh, working in the community to bring education programs and support to children and their families impacted by extreme poverty. A global citizen from the outset, Scott was born in Scotland, but his family moved to Australia when he was just five years old. A self-described high school dropout, his lucky break came when he was apprenticed as a projectionist for drive-in movies. It was an introduction to the film industry that would eventually take Scott on an incredible adventure to become president of 20th Century Fox International, overseeing revenues in excess of $1.5 billion and being responsible for the release of a few movies you may even have heard of, movies like Braveheart, Titanic or Star Wars perhaps. But that's not the remarkable bit. Scott's story really starts back in 2003 when he took a sabbatical to Southeast Asia and to Cambodia in particular, where he encountered firsthand levels of poverty he'd never witnessed before. Seeing children living and working on the huge rubbish dump, a landfill site just outside of Phnom Penh, Scott felt compelled to try and help just one person. It was a move that would lead him to return back to the US and over the course of the next year, sell his home, his cars, his boat. In fact, shed all of his material wealth and return to Cambodia. 
That was almost 20 years ago and marked the beginning of what is now Cambodian Children's Fund, a charity with a global outreach that's impacting the lives of hundreds of children and their families every day. I first encountered Scott almost 10 years ago when he came to share his story at my daughter's school in Hong Kong. Sometimes you hear a story so powerfully inspiring that it does just that and inspires you into action. Becoming a sponsor and part of a movement that is making such a difference to the people it supports has turned out to be a true gift in itself. Philanthropy literally means love of humanity and the work that Scott and the teams he's fostered at CCF do today really does embrace love and generosity in all its forms and its capacity to make life better for other people. And their success stories in turn have become the inspiration for the next generation of leaders. So Scott, I am so grateful to you for taking the time to join me to share a bit more of the work that CCF is doing and the impact it's having. I know you're so, so busy, but it really is having such a ripple effect on a whole community. So welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the invitation too. I do love talking about it all too. I love getting yeah, the opportunity. Yeah, and it's so inspiring, I must admit. I mean, I think the first job for me is to say a big thank you because yeah. it is life-changing work um, and it allows people who wouldn't normally feel that they could make a difference to be mm. able to access ways of connecting. I think it's that word connection that, that really is part of the essence of CCF. It is. And um, I had no experience in nonprofit world. I was living a very good life in the US, earning good money. And I had, um, I think, what are probably traditional prejudices against giving to charities or self rationalizations, whatever. But you, know, you never know where the money's going to go. Read all these stories about big salaries, people skimming money. There's that sense that no um, matter how much money I gave I gave all of my money away there'd still be poverty out there and that it wasn't my problem you know there's so many agencies and governments around the world that should be helping um, why aren't they doing more why isn't the country doing more but when I was on the landfill for the first time and there's no one else around no aid agencies certainly and there's a child at at my feet who's maybe eight nine years old and working on the landfill every day I mean all of that goes out the window. I mean, all of a sudden, it is my problem. Um, mm. I do know where the money's going. And if I walk away, that's it. You know, it's not like there's a plan B there. No. It will become my problem. I had the financial ability. Um, I didn't know at the time, but I certainly had the, the nous basically to get the child into school through the help of a translator, the girl's mother. And um, it all worked. And it worked so easily. It became... It, became, it was a the ease of which I was able to talk to the mother. Fortunately, had a really good translator who was good with the pragmatic, and we rented a house um, for them. Managed to get um, a plan together so that the child would go to school when I was back in Los Angeles. Uh, my friend there would make sure that the rent was paid, groceries, um, food staffs, attendance record for the girl was being checked. And it took in a matter of an hour or so, an hour to start putting the plan in place. And well, the girl actually, 18 years later, she recently uh, graduated with a degree in finance and economics. Uh, um, 
But at the time I, I went back to the hotel and I couldn't get it out of my mind that, an hour and a half and uh, an insignificant amount of money had changed someone's life so much. I'd always thought it was outside of my um, ability uh, in so many different ways. I thought it was such an abstract, complex, obtuse thing. And I couldn't get out of my mind that I'd just changed this life. And if that was, and if that was the reality, then why don't I do more of it? Yeah. And, so, and I'm went down there. It was, it was really understanding that yeah, as an individual, um, I had the power. There was a sense, of, a sense of empowerment that I could do this. Um, with that came a real shock because if I can do it, why aren't I doing it more? And I think it's that that, you know, it's, it's the, the fact that you, you were in this very powerful role in the U.S. So, you, so on the face of it, you were impacting lives all the time and making decisions that would change lives. But it was that search for some sort of deeper level, deeper purpose. And it was a sudden realisation that when you strip away the rationalisations of the money's going, not going to the right places, I can't help, it's not my, uh, it's not my responsibility. When that gets stripped away, for me anyway, the fact that I realised that I did have the ability, um, at that point the only question was do I have a sense of values not to walk away mm. and it was the answer was in the middle because uh, I did change my plans I spent four weeks there constantly getting kids out of there uh, into either foster homes rental homes if they had families down there getting them into school and it all seemed so easy and so and then I went back to Los Angeles hoping or expecting that I could pick up my life just to resume it again uh, I also made a promise not to make any rash decisions. I'd worked 26 years in the film business, so mm -hmm. uh, I made a promise not to do anything rash for the next 12 months. But uh, I sort of cheated because I was so um, sure I'd end up that I sold, started selling off my house, uh, boat, cars, all everything, piece by piece. And after 12 months, I mean, I brought him in that 12 months, I made 11 trips back to Cambodia. Wow. Uh, I rented a building. The staff here are terrific, really good. I was fortunate to uh, find a, a young woman back then who had a degree in law and she started it off. So I was still commuting from Los Angeles and she was putting together the administration, renting buildings and setting up um, security and cooks and everything else. So, so you kind of had that vision once once it went from, you know, and, and, and it's beautiful the way you describe it, that actually it was an hour and a half and a bit of money and that made such a massive difference to one life. And then what I'm really interested in is, did you have any idea of what you were setting in motion at the time? No, I didn't. And um, I honestly, I did not have any vision. It was just the ability to take this child off the landfill today, yeah. get to school. And it became, um, not just easy, but harder to resist when the children would come up and say, please take me to school. Um, after about three, just a short time of going down there, I became the person that you could ask and the person that might get you off this landfill. And it was really hard to say no. Yeah. I originally planned, the original plan was that I would um, sell my house. I had a really expensive house back then, sold it. And if... I kept the student numbers down to just 80. I would never have to become 
uh, a charity. I could just use my own money. Um, and these 80 kids could essentially in perpetuity continue all through school and I could um, drop in and ride my motorbike around Indochina. And what I didn't count on was um, when a child who say, a child that's living, working on a landfill comes up and says, can you take me to school? I want to study. I, I, how do you say no? No. There was always room for one more. And first up, <laughs> so you're ever expanding family. Yeah, so it went from 80 to, once they got there, it doubled every year. Um, and so interesting that. that they were saying, can you take me to school, not can you give me some money yeah. to help me out today? Very smart. If they'd asked some money, I would have, yeah, yeah, and given them a dollar, and it wouldn't be nearly as hard. But how yeah. do you walk away from that child has the, and I don't know how, has the foresight to know that education is the way out and it's a way to get the family out and to do so permanently. And that's what they've done. I mean, even the smallest kids, Somtaldi and please take me to school. And how do you say no to that? Yeah. Even last night, those three other kids came up with the same thing. They're younger now, uh, they're generally under six, but still, because all the kids are in school. So that, it was never really a vision. And the other programs, I've got some fabulous interconnected programs, but they came about simply to address um, compelling issues. The biggest being that children could, would go to school and love it, but then start to have high um, absentees and eventually drop out. So understanding why, because I knew they really wanted to go to school and wouldn't do it willingly. And that meant countless trips down to, down to see families and finally getting it through my thick skull, what the, what the various pieces were. The most obvious one was that the family no longer had that child's income of working on the landfill. And it wasn't, it was only 15, maybe $20 a month. Um, I learned that you can't just give money because you never know where it's going to go. No. So the, the solution was if the child comes to school, the family gets rice, rice for the whole family. If they have very good attendance, they get more rice. And to have perfect attendance is a big bag of rice that will last them more than a month. So that addressed the financial aspect of it. And that really did cut down on the absentee rate and dropout rate. And then that, that took it up. But the next barrier was that children often had to stay at home to look after younger siblings. The parents are going to work in a landfill or going into the city to, to do the scavenging there for recyclables. And the children who are maybe eight or older were required to look after the younger ones. And so we started the kindergarten so there was a safe place for these little ones to be while their siblings studied. We also did it because a lot of parents would take the um, infants um, from zero through five with them onto the landfill and they'd be wandering around on their own. It was yeah. terrible. And the children would get killed. They'd be hit by the graders or the garbage trucks. Uh, that step into some of the um, quagmire sinkholes, and uh, it was horrendous. So the kindergarten turned out to be a, a really good, uh, a really good investment for us. Well, it's it just, one of the uh, most uplifting places to walk into now. Is just these little kids who are just. I've got a photo. I'll send it to you from 2008. We had a Christmas party, and there were five girls in a row, uh, all five years old, singing their Christmas song, wearing Santa hats. And it hit me that all five of them are in university right now, all of them. Wow. One is in Australia, University of Melbourne, the other five are in university here. You think, my goodness, I would never in my wildest dreams have expected that. 
Yeah. If they got through the secondary school, I'd be very proud that they've continued on through. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I think that's at the basis of, of, you know, you didn't go in saying, okay, I've got a vision and I know what needs fixing. It's been about listening. It has. And I mean, partly because I don't have any background in philanthropy and I don't know, but if I, <laughs> if I had any idea of what I'd be managing today, I would have run a mile. It means seriously. We have 40 different programs, big and small, that all interlink to ensure the child stays in school, the family isn't worse off, there's medical care. Um, we're trying to do de development for the children through leadership. We have the grandmothers helping teach the wisdom, values, family structure. Um, we've built 550 um, basic homes in the, like, fancy tin sheds. Um, yeah, I, I could never have had a vision that complex, let alone implemented it. But it was and done. The other, the other reason was the, the old folks too. Often the child would have to look after sick grandparents or parents, which meant they couldn't come to school. Yeah. So you started off with a very basic medical clinic. That was two days a week. Um, and that, of course, has grown. We have six full-time doctors. We saw 34,000 patients last year. Um, and, you know, a lot of them were serious. And we've got um, space. Got the cost per treatment down to less than five six dollars including the medicines and that's made a huge difference absolutely mm. and and yeah. as you say it's it's about empowering a community you know so it's yeah. it's about taking those grandmothers and they then share that wisdom um and and for me what i've seen in the in the children that i'm involved with as a sponsor is how much of the the program is not just about education but about leadership self-leadership really mm -hmm. about empowering kids to understand that they have the agency to then have that ripple effect in their community having the agency and then um understanding the basics of empathy and compassion and giving back and they picked yeah. that up very quickly because it started with the grandmothers it started with these finding these poor old ladies who were begging around the landfill so i was simply giving them money and rice and it was good but when we started leadership it was a really good leadership program, but I really wanted some um, hands-on practical responsibility, which is, a, you know, an ultimate piece of, or an essential piece of a leadership. And that became each three or four of our youth being responsible for a grandmother, which meant visiting them two or three times a week, checking if they're being taken care of, do they have water and what's the conditions like, is the house dirty? And if there's any obvious signs of medical conditions uh, and, that worked out so well. The grannies love it, love having getting, getting of attention and kids sitting around talking to them and fussing over them. And the next step was to encourage grandmothers to talk to the youth about how things used to be in the good old days of pre-Pol Pot Khmer Rouge. Yeah. And so, and then the grannies, they, they came into their own. I mean, they're such a boisterous bunch now. The Hadahaman <laughs> was 98. She wanted to learn to swim. She hasn't got a swimming certificate. And so... We took a whole bunch of the grannies out to learn to swim over six months and they got the certificates. The next thing, they want to go down water slides. They went to the biggest water park in Cambodia and were screaming down water slides like children. It was amazing. Just fabulous. Yeah, yeah. and that it's that real sort of bringing back the sort of fibre of, of, of the culture so yes. that it then yeah. stands, mm -hmm. it's self-supporting, it, it stands alone. It, it is. And, and you know, the, the, the parents, unfortunately, the middle generation, um, they were children or born into the Khmer Rouge days, and they're so sadly damaged with post-traumatic stress, being 
um, split from families. Um, so to try and connect the grandparents with the children made a lot of sense in terms of um, ensuring that sense of storytelling, tradition, um, values, uh, morality was passed down. Yeah. But, you know, morality seems to be a, a bad word these days, but you know, it's just through storytelling and interaction with the, the oldest generation. It just Absolutely. And as I said at the beginning, you know, what, what you're creating in essence is new stories, you know, so these kids who are coming into you at five years old are coming out with stories of hope and optimism and degree certificates and that whole capacity to then become that next generation of leaders is just amazing. One of our original girls who was in, I think back in 2006, she's just started, she got a degree in social work. So she's come back to work with our, um, our populations, a community of uh, females from girls to, excuse me, girls to grannies from two years old to 80. But the teen girls are on with a handful. So she's, she's staying there and helping counsel them. She's embedded. Yeah. And, and, I mean, they have to be someone relatable. I can't do it. And even Cambodians uh, who've got great qualifications, they don't have the same relatability as she does. She has been there. She's done. She's seen it. She's done it. It's been worse for her. Yeah. So she's helping guide them. But that, that to me is the essence of it. So every interaction I've had with CCF, you know, whether it's May who does the, the, sponsorship liaison that yes. everyone who accompanies the children on the skype calls has come through the process themselves has either been part of this the you know the education program or has been impacted and then comes back to join yeah, an ever-growing family if you like it's a wonderful energy here too as you would have seen it just the, the way everyone works together it's yeah. the grandmothers it's the staff the doctors uh, uh, counselors everyone security guards so you now, I mean, because I, I, I haven't been able to visit, I, I guess the pandemic has been a really tr challenging time with school closures and... It has been, yeah. But you it's now are able to go back to, you know, one of the things I really remember about the way you would just um, walk the streets and everybody knew you as Papa Scott, you yeah, know, and yeah. you've been able now to go I, back to that now. I, oh, yeah, I started um, earlier this year, and my goodness. I'm going out again this evening with some psychiatrists out from the US, uh, child psychiatrists. So I'd love to get some advice from them. It's, a, it's another level of um, trying to fix the, some of the damage that was done. Yeah. The kids are incredibly resilient. I'd like to get a better understanding of how we can help. Yeah. And, uh, as I was saying over lunchtime, another five children were just accepted into the program in really, really tough backgrounds. Um, serious malnourishment neglect in some cases abuse and rather than get depressed now i just remind myself that goodness hundreds and hundreds came along that way they're doing just so well not yeah. just uh, education but in terms of their giving back their own sense of self-confidence and and they <laughs> it's so counterintuitive that they feel so lucky i get it i understand because I go for the walkabouts and the conditions are terrible. I mean, it's not just poverty. It's swallowed. They're on landfill. There's, you know, there's no proper drainage here. Um, there's alcoholism. There's drugs. Um, it stinks. But these kids come bouncing out of the houses so happy and people don't understand. And it's because their one wish, their one question, the one request was, can I go to school? 
And they were granted that wish. And it's a very good school now. It's a really good yeah. school. And what? And when they join, the um, the unexpected treat is we take away adult responsibilities. So these kids have got a childhood again. They don't have to worry about younger siblings, although they do. They love being with the, the little ones. Uh, they don't have to worry about sick people. The parents are sick. Are they going to die? Uh, you know, we take care of all of that. If there's any kind of um, domestic violence, uh, we'll take care of it. And um, there's no sense of impunity anymore. So they're having really great childhoods. No, and you, you actually really do see that um, when, when those great burdens are taken away, mm. that's what it, it, it's, that's the, the definition of flourish. You know, the children really yeah. start to flourish. Yeah. And then that wonderful space where they haven't yet discovered social media and smartphones, but they have <laughs> time on weekends. We have trips out to uh, some of the, uh, the Watts of Pagodas, the sporting events, uh, things in the community. Every evening, seven days a week, our youth who are 15, 16, they have classes in their, uh, in their small community. Uh, anyone can attend. And that's turning out to be a source of new future CCF students who kids are turning up there, three foot, three year olds, four year olds. They'll sit on the ground and with a whiteboard in front and they'll, they're just so focused yeah. on what's uh, It's just such a good sign for the future. Just want to learn. So how do you feel now when you look back over what's now nearly 20 years since you first arrived in Rampen and the community that you get to walk around? How does that leave you feeling? It, 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 it's remarkable. It's a remarkable feeling now. I'm beginning to see that, um, and it's just quite recently, beginning to understand that the legacy that's being built here, it's, it's certainly going to be, uh, it's going to outlive me. I would be around when the legacy really spreads. And it's when these children are married and have their own children. I'm seeing some of it now with our uh, initial little ones that came in. They're now married. They're really good parents. They take care of their children. Um, they're real role models as parents. They're doing everything that they didn't get. And that, at that point, you need to realise that's, that's a break in the chain, not yeah. just a poverty but of abuse, neglect. Um, that would otherwise have gone on for generations. And there's going to be hundreds and hundreds who are having children, having less children and taking better care of them. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And I mean, I think the one thing that I wanted to, to dig into just a little bit was because you make it seem and feel and sound like it's been easy, like this oh, journey has been something. You know, I know that it's been a challenge. Unspeakable. They really are. I mean, children die of, uh, well, children used to die of the most basic illnesses or, or from domestic violence. Um, there's abuse of all types down there. Yeah. It's largely gone. It's very rare. And certainly families who've been living there for more than, say, a year, they know there's, um, it's ill-advised, to say the least, to have any sense of impunity when it comes to violence or any other forms of abuse. It's a very, very safe place. We jump yeah. on it. Mm. And also, so, that, that, that I guess now there is more of a, you know, it, it feels less like it's the burden is on your single shoulders, that as you are bringing in these people who are now graduating and, and that yeah. there are more and more people who are having the access to the education and, and it does become this sustainable model. <laughs> Peer support is remarkable yeah. too, how they look out for each other, the students, especially once we're in secondary high school, they really do look out for each other. And we have a lot of 
international support. So uh, University of Nottingham are major partners in terms of curriculum development, teacher training here. So we're getting up towards a good, almost Western standard um, education for the students. We have our own STEM Academy. We've got students won the robotics competition representing Cambodia. They've been through 3D printing. They're working on um, Adobe software. Remarkable things, chemistry, physics, and they're studying that at university. Wow. And I dropped out at age 12 because I flunked as a chemistry and physics. Well, I I do wonder if it it was that... um that experience that has really fed and led you to where you are now is that you recognize the potential in everyone. I, yeah, well, I do actually, that that's not the education aspect. I can't quite relate, but yeah, the potential is there. Yeah. You know, they have so much potential and they <laughs> initially, uh, I believe in them much more than they believe in themselves. And once they get, once they got their momentum, it's just unstoppable. There's yeah. some remarkable cases of, Kids that I don't know how they um, survived, let alone began uh, began to thrive. Yeah, and that resilience that they build, and then being seen and and having that support network, as you as you just described, it's yeah. suddenly not feeling okay. Horrible things happen, but there's someone to to lean on to yeah, go and help. Thing, the, the word you know, in Khmer that I speak the most often is talking to the child and asking them. Saying, essentially, you don't look happy. Can I help you with something? Do you have a problem? And it's so powerful. No one, no one has ever asked them that before. How can I help? Is there anything wrong? Even if I don't think there's anything wrong, I'll still say it to them just because they, they light up, they understand that there's always going to be someone there. And the other thing is, um, um, I'm proud of you. You know what I mean? And my goodness, the, the look on a child's face when they hear that for the first time, they draw drops, they stare at me with their mouth open, they can't believe they've heard that. Some of the kids cry and it's a wonderful thing. It's so powerful. Well, that's so, certainly been um, part of the gift of, you know, one of the, the little boys we sponsor got a scholarship. So he is very gifted academically and yes. just being able to reflect that back to him, you know, amazing job. Mm-hmm. And Nati's sister studies in a private, oh no, Nati's brother, sorry. Yeah, he studies. Yeah. Piron. So he's gone off to, um, you know, a, a, the top school in Cambodia for all the ambassadors' children to go, and he's thriving there. Yeah, absolutely yeah. thriving. But to be able it's to reflect that, group. he's tiny compared to the uh, more wealthy families there. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, he was always small for his age. But uh, I remember we went on an outing. We took him to a climbing wall, and he shot to the top. <laughs> he's very, very strong. Very, oh, very. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's He's very good. He's articulate too. His English is good, but his ability to express himself is fabulous. And for us, the gift has been that we know we have a friend in Cambodia forever and he knows, you know, the whole family know that they have friends outside, you know, who who really do care, who really want to make a difference. It's... um, When I I showed a picture, I was in travelling through the US and when I came back, I showed one of our sponsored kids there sponsor's home and on the refrigerator was her picture and she burst into tears she couldn't believe the family had her picture on their refrigerator yeah. and she, belonged, yeah. she belonged to the family and Absolutely. that was just wonderful yeah, yeah. and just every child needs to feel special just to someone even if only for a period of time it, 
does so yeah, much. But I, I think the way you have it set up, it makes it very easy to keep those connections alive. It's not an onerous task, you no. know, but it does allow for you to just, yeah, acknowledge when, when they're doing really well, say, I'm proud of you, celebrate birthdays. It's just amazing. Yeah, birthdays and photographs. Yeah, yeah. And just share a little bit of, of your sort of questions about how things are going. Yeah, we share a lot about the seasons because obviously it's very different, right. you know, and yeah. and first pictures of snow were fascinating, you know, all that stuff is is really amazing. It really, the, the sponsorship started up, um, it wasn't really a sponsor program, but having come from Los Angeles, um, I was, I marveled at how much these kids had resilience. I wanted my friends who are still in the film business back at home to be able to experience for themselves want to be able to then have as direct a connection with these children as possible just right back and forwards give them a, the child gets a taste of a bit of world perspective and sort of adult role model and my friends in LA could partly understand why I was here and it sort of grew from there yeah yeah one of our very first sponsors in 2004 still looks after his um sponsored child who's now gone through university Still, still causing him a few issues here and there, but I can defer now. <laughs> and that was what my other question for you was, you know, is there an aspect of the role that if you could just take that away? Because, you know, there are so many gifts in this, but it is obviously, it's been a life-changing challenge, if you like, for you. But what's, <clears throat> what's the hardest part of the role? Oh, my goodness. Um, for the, the, the hard part is when you see a student who's going to drop out of school Thankfully, there aren't that many. It's less than three, four percent. But boy, mm. when the when um, this CCF safety net's no longer there, it goes tumbling down. Goodness mm. me, it'd be yeah. tragic. It really can. The lives are open up, and it's so hard to explain to a teen who's making a terrible decision what the ramifications will be and how much the decision to leave school, how much is going to change the direction of their life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so drastically. But knowing, I guess, that there is still, I mean, there's not so much of a safety net, but having those conversations at least does open up. Okay, well, we're here. We're still here if you come back. Yeah, we are. Uh, yeah. And often, of course, they end up um, starting a family who's still in their teens and there's yeah. really no coming back. They don't want to. The family doesn't want them to. It's a sense of shame. And then you've got these, who's, those who've stuck with it, who are just thriving, making such, um, having such great lives, good money, uh, moving their families out of the landfill area. Just, yeah. yeah so I guess it's just that, that idea that it's always going to be bittersweet, you know, that, that there's yeah. always going to be darkness and amongst the light. The numbers now, it's, uh, there's less and less these days. I think 1.5% for the year is much, it's, it's dropped enormously. Given the yeah. environment here, it's remarkable. Just um, incredible. How, how many of them stay the course? And it helps, of course, to have the families on side who've got, in most cases, they've got their own house in one of our communities, medical care, um, people that will take, if they have any issues, um, will help them with it. If there's, uh, as I say, domestic violence, any kind of issues with um, gangs or drug use, yeah. selling drugs, take care of them. Because there is a real sense that it's a bit of a cliche, but it is that rising tide lifts all the boats. And I think that's what's yes. now becoming apparent is how much of a 
an impact it's having on on the wider community at home. And people can see if they stay the course, if they simply encourage the child to go to school and there's no abuse at home, either physical substance abuse, they can get one of these homes in a nicer community. I mean, yeah. they're really basic. They cost us just on about a two thousand pounds. But they have running water. They now have their own bathrooms. They're fenced off, so there's a sense of um, it's an aspirational aspect yeah. to it. To get home. one very proud, yeah. yeah. And they've earned it too. They don't get it for free. They, you know, they have to make sure the child gets to school, yeah. and they get really good benefit out of it. Yeah, we get five hundred and fifty all around the landfill. It's a lot of families, and there's also the grandmothers in there who sort of um, keep the peace, or at least talk talk badly to those who um, they misbehave themselves. Yeah, they 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 talk. Uh, they they don't. They're not shy about telling people how to behave. But real fingers on the pulse. You know, they know exactly. Nothing gets past them. All that yeah, stuff. Nothing yeah, gets past, nothing gets past us. I know every everything everyone's up to. It's not exactly. Yeah. There's no privacy when you live so close together. Fabulous. And, you know, I was interested, you have put so much kindness out into the world, whether you had an interesting story about an act of kindness that's impacted you in all this yeah, time. It was, um, one of the things I do, and it sounds trivial, but I must deliver four or five birthday cakes every week for kids who've never had a birthday, and some of them are older. Uh, there was another one again tonight. Um, the psychiatrist coming with me, putting through that. God, and last night, um, there's, a, there's twins who are now 13 years old. I had a birthday for them when they were six years old, and I've got the photos, and here they are again at 13. They're so tall now in comparison. It was a beautiful thing to see. In the, in the really early days, we had a, a little girl. She was only six or seven, and she had, she had uh, she was HIV positive. She had hepatitis B and there was, there was even some doubt about whether she'd make it through. When she was turning, I think, six or seven, um, she'd never had a birthday before. And so she lived um, in this abject squalor. She mostly lived alone because her parents would go out at night time scavenging. Um, and I took a birthday cake down there and the entire community came out. Said, Not don't, well, they wanted the cake, but they all sang happy birthday. That was the main thing. But, and they all gathered around, and she was the centre of all this attention. I got the most beautiful photographs. I remember I actually carried her over there because she was still very weak, and we had the birthday cake. And I was packing up, and she's in this little room by herself. And when it went by, she was singing happy birthday to herself, sitting there with the remains of the cake in front of her, saying happy birthday to me over and over again. Oh, I was so touched. It was just such a lovely aspect to it. And, you know, and I realised that she's going to remember that for the rest of her life. That was her big night there, big night in the spotlight. Everyone was singing out, and I've still got those lovely photos. And the idea that, yeah, it was she was six years old before it was even commemorated, before it was even celebrated. Yeah. 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 And I for a boy who's just turned 13, and, oh, my goodness, he was over the moon. I actually yeah. put it on Facebook just the other night. Yeah, he's never had a birthday mm -hmm. cake before. Well, I must admit that that is one of the things now that I think is the legacy of CCF is these powerful stories. Um, there are so many of them, just mm. the way that people's lives have been impacted, the way they're then able to come back into their community and, and contribute yes. themselves and make a contribu contribution mm -hmm. going forward. And it's um, largely reciprocated 
wherever, not necessarily obviously financially, but people give the kindness back and compassion back. The grannies have been the biggest recipients of it. There's such a loved group now. Yeah. Um, they want to take on the world. They're 100, 102 years old in some cases. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. And um, before we started, I mentioned that, you know, I always ask my guests to choose a favourite song, a piece of music that takes them to a special place, just because it is a universal language. And, you know, this is such a global community that you're you're building. You know, there are so many people involved. So is there some music that you... Uh... Yeah, well, it's the one I, I listen to at the end of a hard day and before I get out of bed is it's uh, Bob Marley, No Woman, No Cry. It's a live version from 1975, live at the the Lyceum, 1975. It's a beautiful version. No woman, no crime. And it just seems so fitting. Yeah, absolutely. And so Bob Marley is that thing that you go to. I think we all need to have something that when times are really hard, we can Mm -hmm. gather our resolve and keep going. I listened to a lot of Bob Marley when I was 15, 16, so it takes me right back there. Yeah. Mm. There's uh, something really beautiful about the whole tone of it. Absolutely, absolutely. I can I can almost hear sort of that that melody just playing out over the, yeah, over the village. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's nice and slow and very peaceful. It's part of the vibe, yeah, just generally. It's, it's, it's all okay. It's all going to be okay. Mm, it is, that's right. Fantastic. Yeah, to, um, yeah, it's such a good analogy because people see all the, the horrors and the suffering when they come and visit. Um, they don't realise that the, the joy is, you know, the undercurrent is all joy, happiness, hope. Yeah, I think that that for me was the most powerful thing was how many smiles I saw when we were yeah. walking around. And this was, um, you know, we haven't been back to Cambodia for probably seven years now, seven or eight years. but so. It, it's so powerful seeing a sea of, of happy kids. And, mm-hmm. yeah. They want to get a bit of attention. They want to try English. They'd like to be, if they're tiny kids, they'd like to be carried. They want to make uh, friends. They, they yeah. Make, yeah. yeah. They, they don't get much attention in their lives. So it's a, it's a yeah. big treat to have someone pay attention. Um, and so anyone listening to this who, who would like to get involved, what's the, what's the best way to, to um, make well, a start? Well, sponsoring a child, um, it's not that, we've got about, I think, 100 children unsponsored. Just a website, uh, CambodianChildrensFund.org. It's looking at, at doing travel, um, support, sponsoring. Be all on the website. Perfect, perfect. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll head, yeah, we'll, I'll link to all of that in the show notes. And then just to, to finish up with, what's the one piece of, because this, this podcast is called Collective Wisdom, is there a piece of wisdom that you have relied on that you would like to share with people? Yeah, it, it tends to change every few years um, based on the state where I'm at. And there's a couple of the, unfortunately, that Charles Bukowski, who I love reading, but you certainly wouldn't want him as a role model. He made a couple of quotes, one which I really reflect now that, you know, I'm older, been here 18 years. He said, um, the secret to happiness, um, he said, is finding what you love and letting it kill you. And just let, you know, jumping in and letting, you know, just wow. let it completely wow. swamp over. Yeah, it's a lovely quote. Yeah. And actually, two years ago, Bukowski's quote was, um, you save mankind one person at a time. Anything else is uh, politics and self-aggrandizing. And I thought that was perfect. 
you know, one person at a time. That is exactly, and that's exactly how you started. And it's funny that it comes back to that. It takes you away from that sense of overwhelm of there's just too much to address here, but I can save that one person. True, just one person at a time. Yeah. Just doesn't work otherwise. I don't know how people do it. It's why, you know, that community base is much more uh, effective than trying to scale up and, um, you know, make it from a, higher level i just don't think it works the no. major organizations aren't based on the ground everything has to end the scaling up and it just it has to be done by the people on the ground and by those people yeah and and, and you build a community one person at a time in the same way i think yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and it ripples out just creating that network well i am it's such a privilege to be able to share this space with you and to I'll fix you as well. If anyone wants to look at the fix you video. Yeah, so there's a beautiful video set to the Coldplay um, Mm. song Fix You, which really tells the story in a nutshell. It really does. um, We have licensed the music. We have the music rights too. It's a beautiful video. And I think that's the thing, that generosity of spirit. You know, once you've sowed the seed, you created that snowball that is now just growing and growing and people are finding ways to give in any way they can, you know, whether you want to sponsor a child or perhaps visit Cambodia and, and find ways that you can contribute in your own way is very powerful. It's a magic experience, as you know. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's unforgettable. Once yeah. Actually, it's kept me here for 18 years. <laughs> and, and your plan is to stay on, I imagine. I can't imagine you doing anything else. Um, well, I've, I've been smart enough to put together a sustainability plan because um, I'm 63 and uh, I just want to make sure that uh, an awareness that the kids that are coming in at four, five, six, they're going to have a 20-year journey with us, a 15 to 20-year journey. So making mm-hmm. sure that we have the right people in place, we're um, raising the funding for sustainable needs, um, putting together a high-level board for compliance. So it gives me more time to do what I love and I've, you know, I've been looking at what else I want to do with my life and keep on coming back to I think I found it. There's nothing, you know. I would like to get vacations away and recharge, but I don't want to shift my life. I love what I do. Yeah. I'm very, very, very lucky. Yeah, and that, that shows. I think that's what we feel when we hear your story. So thank you so much for sharing Pleasure. it so thank generously you. here. And send my love to Natty and Pirang and Danette, but also to the whole community out there because... Yeah, it's just a wonderful space that um, that you've created. Hope to see you over here too. Come back. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me. I do hope you enjoyed that conversation just as much as I did. And I'm so grateful to Scott for taking the time. I know he's a very busy man. If you were moved at all to find out more about Cambodian Children's Fund and the work they do, and perhaps how you can get involved, there's a link in the show notes to CambodianChildrensFund.org and also to that video that Scott referenced, which tells the story so movingly of just what a difference access to education can make to those children and to their families and the wider community. And it's that sense of community that I really wanted to celebrate with this episode. It's reminded me of a Donna Ashworth 
poem, which I'm going to leave you with today. The poem is called Family by Donna Ashworth. Family is not always blood, not always traditional, and never always easy. Family is anyone who makes you feel at home, and not always those you start life with. Family is a gift we all deserve, and if you don't have it, you can build it, you can find it. Family exists in many forms, and is often hard to recognise by sight, but always by how it feels. Family is not always pretty, and never always easy, but it's always forgiving and always loving. And if yours is not, you can change that. Family is binding, although sometimes you will feel the need to break free from that knot. And that's okay, but always remember the way home. It's not a place, it's a feeling. And the map is in your soul and in your heart. Family is not always blood, not always traditional, but it's always love. That's the only criteria to be met. And I think there's nothing that tells that story more powerfully than the work that Scott has done to build his own family over in Cambodia. Thank you so, so, so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from, so I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.